Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Hello everyone, sorry I got excited in worship so my voice is now gone. It's, it was a good reason <laughs> to lose my voice. But anyway, it's so good to be back. It's been like I think two and a half years since I've been on this stage, so that's quite cool. But um, hello everyone, to those who don't know me, I'm Jess. You can just call me Jess, please. <laughs> So we're continuing in our Abide series tonight. I should probably drink some water. Maybe my voice will come back. Um, Sorry. I should have done this beforehand. We're continuing in the Abide sermon series tonight. For those of you who are doing our prayer and fasting, this is the devotion that we've been reading, and Pastor Greg actually um, kicked us off with this sermon series last week, speaking about our theology. And what we base our theology on, is it on our social media feed or is it on the word of God? And what is our role then? What we need to focus on is our action in bringing about the promises of God. So tonight, we're going to continue speaking about a similar theme, right? We're going to talk about things that can hinder us from seeing Jesus for who he is. And it's amazing because I really feel like God is doing one main thing tonight, which is bringing joy and bringing freedom. And speaking about these things that hinder us from seeing God is all about that. It's those limitations to walking in the freedom that God has for us. So tonight we're going to be talking about the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. The story... You sort of spoke about it last week, Greg. Neil basically preached on it tonight. So I really think God is saying one thing. So I'm going to start off with a story. It's a hypothetical story, completely hypothetical, okay? Imagine that I came home one day and my amazing perfect husband had cooked my favorite dinner. That would be nice. Not super like out of the ordinary for us because we sort of share cooking, but it's a nice thing. But imagine that I come home one day and he's made my favorite dinner and he's laid the table beautifully and there's candles on the table and the lights are low. It's starting to feel like he's going somewhere with the evening. Imagine that I came home, he'd made my favorite dinner, he'd laid the table beautifully and he had roses and there were rose petals on the bed and there was champagne in the bedroom. It's starting to feel like there's an expectation for the evening. Am I right? There's maybe a plan being set up in that picture. So I imagine that I come home to this, I'm so grateful, he's made such a beautiful meal, we eat dinner together, and then I'm like, oh, I'm so bloated, I'm going to sleep, and then I just move the pedals and fall asleep, leave him with all the dishes. There may be some disappointment on the part of my husband. It may be that the plan that he had for the evening didn't quite go as he had expected. Again, hypothetical situation. So, in that scenario, depending on how Zach sees the situation and what 
His disappointment means, in the terms of our relationship, in terms of our covenant, he could react in different ways, right? It could be that it's a small thing to him and he overlooks it and he moves on. Or it could be that it actually meant more to him and he's upset about it. And the next day we have to have a discussion about what happened the day before and we have to talk through the disappointment. If it is really important to him, such that it affects our relationship. I mean, it could be a serious conversation. It could be a, we need to bring other people in to mediate conversation, right? It all depends on how the expectation and the disappointment fits into how we relate to each other and our relationship. So here's a real story. Okay, that was hypothetical. I promise it was hypothetical. Here's a real story. In 2019, my sister was very excited because she felt pregnant. She was grateful to God for this, and we were all very excited. And over the course of her pregnancy, the scans started to show that there were problems with the baby, that the baby wasn't growing the way that it should. And as her family, we gathered around in prayer, trusting God for breakthrough, trusting for a miracle. And in March 2020, my niece was born with a disease called osteogenesis imperfecta, which means she had brittle and deformed bones. And um, after six months of fighting for her life, she died in August 2020. So that's a story of real disappointment. And the, that situation affected people in my family differently. And we had different ways that we responded to God not healing and not saving this baby's life. For my mom, she felt like she couldn't trust God properly after that. It really knocked her faith. For me, it was a time of a lot of confusion. <laughs> I still have questions about that time. And one of the most difficult things about it was that it kind of felt like all of a sudden I couldn't hear God's voice and I couldn't feel his presence. And you're looking to God to show up somehow in your life in that moment, and it's like, he's gone. That's how I felt. And all I was trying to do was stay present in that space, but I was really confused and really hurt. And there are things like that that can cloud our ability to see Jesus. And tonight, that's what we're going to be talking about. And I really want to encourage you to open up your heart to look at where the disappointments lie and where the hurt is and where we asked God for something and cried out in faith and it didn't look like what we asked for. So let's pray together. Jesus, we just want to open our hearts up to you tonight. Father, we know that what you're doing is bringing joy and freedom and hope into the parts of our heart where there have been hopelessness, Lord God, when there's been hurt, where there has been disappointment, Lord. Father, we, we want to be vulnerable with you tonight. The true worship is worship in spirit and in truth. And we're coming in truth tonight, being real with what's happening in our hearts and knowing that as we come, you show up, Lord God and you will meet us. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your way. Have your way with us tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So we're going to read John 6 together. Um, I'm going to read a long passage because I believe that the Word of God is what ministers to us, and so we're going to read through the whole passage. But I would encourage you to open up in your own Bible, your own device, etc., because I think it's easier to follow on your own device. But it will also be on the screen. So the context quickly of the scripture is that Jesus has fed 5,000 men plus thousands other women of children, as Neil introduced for us tonight. And what happened is he did this miracle, he took five loaves of bread and two fish, and he multiplied it and fed all these thousands of people, and they're super excited. He sends his disciples then across the lake to Tiberias, and he follows them by walking on the water. And so all of the thousands of people that he's just fed realize Jesus is gone, and they go and they look for him, and they make their way across the lake, and they find Jesus. I don't know if it took a couple days or not, but they find Jesus, and they, this is where we pick up the story, is where these thousands of people have found him. Oh, it's cutting off here. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm just going to read it from here. Okay, it says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he's given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? 
Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Gross. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Amen. So the first thing that I noticed when I was reading through the scripture to prepare the sermon is that when these thousands of people came to find Jesus again, which to me seems like a good thing, all these people went to go and follow Jesus, but he immediately rebuked them. And he said to them, you're not looking for me because of the miracles that I did, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You're looking for me because I gave you free stuff and you want some more. And so it brings up this question, right? Why are we seeking Jesus? Because they thought probably that they were seeking Jesus because they saw amazing things, but he immediately picked up that there was an issue with the attitude of their heart, that actually they weren't seeking him because they went, wow, that's God. They were seeking him because they wanted to get other stuff from him while he was doing his miracles. And when we're talking about disappointments, hurts, difficult situations, we actually have to take a step back and look at, well, what is the reason that we're seeking God in the first place? Why are we coming to him for our answers? Why are you here at the hub tonight? Why are you part of this church? Why are you prayer and fasting at the moment? What are you seeking? What is it that you're seeking? Think about it. Am I seeking Jesus because he promised me that he would heal? because he promised miracles, because in my case, that didn't happen. And if we start doing things that look like godly things and we seek those things, then we can miss God, because they were doing what looked like a good thing, but it was actually not the right thing. They were seeking God for what he could do for them and not because they were convinced that he is the answer, that this is God, that he is worth my time and worth me serving. That's why we should be seeking God, because we're blown away by the fact that Jesus would come to know us. And so it doesn't matter what he does or doesn't do. He is God, and we want to be with him. That's why we should be seeking him. In the story, a little bit after where we stopped, it says that you know a lot of these people, because Jesus gave them this really hard teaching, right? He said, you need to become a cannibal so that you follow me. Summarized. And it's, it's offensive to the Jews, and it's certainly offensive, I think, to most of us, that thought. But so he gives them this hard teaching, and so many of them left him after that. And that's the thing when it comes to why we're seeking Jesus, is that the cost of following Jesus is high. It is hard to follow Jesus. And if you haven't yet experienced it, I can guarantee you will. 
because things don't work out as we expected, because Jesus calls us to give up what we want and what we want to follow and what we think is comforting to us, we give that up in pursuit of him. It is hard. And so if our attitude is not actually because he is worth it, then we're going to be part of the crowd that walks away when things get hard. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. Jesus, have I really committed to you because of you? And have I really determined to give up doing things and fixing things myself and my way to actually seek after you? There's this really lovely and difficult scripture in Matthew 7. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So how many of us are performing miracles and prophesying and doing signs and wonders and are going to be the people that Jesus says that to? It's a very scary scripture. But the truth is that there are... It's not that prophecy and healing are not things of God. Of course, there are things that are the will of the Father. But when we are doing things without actually asking God if that is his will, that's when we become those people. You see, this is a break in intimacy, a break in relationship. It's when we decide what we should do. When we decide these are the good things that we should do. I should be a leader in the church because that is how God will bless me. But we don't actually ask God what is his will and we don't actually listen to him for what he's saying you need to give up and you need to walk away from and you need to chase after. That's what it is to do the will of the Father. And in that time to prophesy and ask for miracles and pray for the sick and step out because we also know that that's the will of the Father. But if we are doing those things without being submitted to God and listening to his will, then we may be the people that Jesus says, I never knew you. So our, our feelings, our hurts, our disappointments have to be in the context of this. Jesus is God and I follow him because he is God. The second thing that I notice from the scripture is that I don't know if any of you picked it up, but there's this weird moment where Jesus says to them that the will of the Father is to believe in the one that he sent. And then they say, well, how do we know that you're the one that he sent? Literally, it is this group of people that he just did the miracle for. The same group. It's the same people. He multiplied the food, fed all of them. They went to go find him. And then they're like, well, actually, how do we know that you are the one? And so what they ended up doing, because they were cynical about it, was that they basically put a condition on Jesus. Okay, you did the miracle, that was nice, but we need something else that's actually going to prove that you are God and that you're going to be good to us. So I think this is my interpretation of why they asked that question. Is that it goes back a little bit to understanding the people of Israel, right? They were a people that identified themselves as being the ones that God had walked with. The real God had come to these people. And when you read through the Old Testament prophets, it's clear that they were also false prophets. 
that they were people who, because the people of Israel had basically stopped following God's way and stopped doing his things, God was trying to tell them, you need to turn back. But there were false prophets saying, you're good, God is with you, you can go to war and you will succeed because God is with you. And so I think for people who didn't quite realize that they were the ones messing up, it was confusing, right? That there were different messages. And then for 400 years, there were no prophets of God and there was no word from God. And then Jesus comes. And I think that the people of Israel had become a little cynical and hard-hearted as to know how do we know what God is saying and when God is gonna move. I think that they were a bit confused, a bit disappointed, a bit how I was for the past two years. And I think that their miracle that they saw, right? There were people, we know from Moses' time that magicians were copying the same miracles that Moses was doing. And I think that for some of us, that's probably similar, is that there are people that look like they can give you other answers to what Jesus can give you. And so it's a bit confusing sometimes as to know whether or not Jesus is actually the one that we should follow. And we've when life gets hard and things get difficult, we become cynical and we become mistrusting, and we start to put conditions on God without even realizing it. So just for a minute, because the sermon is only useful if it's actually applied, so for a moment, think about what your conditions may be. What are the disappointments in your heart? And do they sound like, if you? The truth is that we need Jesus if we're going to know God. Jesus said this, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, which is very logical. Only the person who is with God can actually tell you about God. And I bring up this statement because of the fact that I think we can become disconnected from God when we get disappointed and start feeling like at some point it'll fix itself. But Jesus is really the answer to that space of being disconnected because he is the one who has seen God and was sent to us to tell us and show us who God is. And so if we're not engaging with Jesus, then we don't actually give ourselves the opportunity to interact with God, who is the one that we want to ask the questions to. I noticed that when I was going through that time, my niece had passed, that year, 2020, God was very much like the sun in the sky to me. Like God is up there, he radiates his love, his will, his whatever he's doing over the world, and I am here doing my thing. And it actually doesn't really matter how I think about God, because he's still going to be up in the sky doing his thing. But when it came to Jesus, who was suddenly somebody that came to find me and was a person, he relates to me as a human being, suddenly it really mattered what the condition of my heart was. And it really mattered whether or not I trusted Jesus and whether or not I was offended by Jesus and whether or not I actually wanted to talk to him, which was sometimes. And my heart... It it didn't matter if I took account for my heart when God was up in the sky, but when it's Jesus that I have to relate to and then answer to, 
then it really mattered. And so tonight, if there are spaces in your heart that are disappointed, maybe those are spaces that you've just separated from Jesus and taken and been like, well, I, this is too hard to talk about, so I'm just going to put it here and you can carry on sunning. But we need Jesus for those spaces to encounter God because they won't without him. In this passage, when Jesus says to them that he is the bread that's been sent from heaven, there were two reactions that the Jewish people had that were listening to him. They started grumbling amongst themselves, and they started comparing it with what they knew about Jesus, which is that you're the son of Joseph. How can you be the one that God has sent from heaven? And this is what we do when Jesus does difficult things or doesn't do something. We start grumbling to other people and saying, God disappointed me, God didn't come through, how could God have done that? And we don't actually talk to God about it, we just grumble amongst ourselves. And then we start focusing on what we know, which is God didn't heal my niece. God didn't X, Y, and Z. God allowed X, Y, and Z. And we start focusing on only what we know, which is our disappointment and our hurt, and then we're blinded to the fact that the Messiah is right in front of us and has been sent by God to save us. And when we focus so much on what our truth, as we call it, is, then we miss the real truth, the living truth, what God is doing around us all the time. And this is why gratitude is so important. Because gratitude stops us from focusing on our truth and refocuses us on what God is doing all the time. Because I can, guarantee, I can testify to the fact that in that time of grieving and mourning, God provided for me, and I had a job that came out of nowhere, and all of these things that God did that I would have missed if I had only focused on what was hard. So whilst you were thinking earlier about your disappointment and your hurt and your cynicism, take a moment to think about your gratitude and what you're grateful for because that counterbalances that statement, and it brings perspective. My last point is that Jesus reveals himself as the bread of life. Isn't that amazing? Bread is nourishing, but it is also comfort food. It is 100% my comfort food. It's... It's a staple food for most people. It's, it's substance, right? It's what we live off of. So what did Jesus mean when he was using this imagery of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, which he continues by saying, my flesh is real flesh and my blood is real blood. Okay, what did, why, why did he go into such graphic detail? I mean, we know from hundreds and thousands, well, not hundreds of thousands, thousands of years of church history that it's a picture of communion. It's about the sacrifice that Jesus made, and it's symbolic. And it is that. But I also think it's more than that. I think there's a reason that Jesus used a super graphic image when he was talking to these people. And I, 
I think it's because it's a really active image. The Greek word is actually more like chewing when it says, eat my flesh. It's a very active picture of taking in Jesus and absorbing him and allowing that to nourish you. So, Danielle Burkholder is a teacher in Every Nation family, and she wrote, seeing bread and believing it is bread still doesn't bring nourishment unless you eat it. Okay? Because they asked him in that scripture, how do we do the will of God? And he said it is to believe in the one that he sent. But believing is not just like Danielle Burkholder is trying to say there. It's not just like, Jesus came, he lived, he died, and we're so grateful for that. It's, it's not an absent picture. It must be an active absorption and consumption with the fact that Jesus came and died and rose again for us. That, that it's about being nourished and fed off of the gospel. That the fact that Jesus came, that that is actually what gives you food, life, substance every single day. To eat of Jesus' flesh and drink of his blood is to be filled with the gospel and to live off of that and to know that that is what drives me and fuels me and motivates me. That we're not, is your five-year plan based off of what you think is a good idea for your life or is it based off of the will of God? Going back to Matthew 7, what is it that is feeding and fueling and directing you? Because it should be the gospel. It should be Jesus, that that is the place where I go to for comfort. That's the place that I go to for direction. That's the place that I go to 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 figure out life, that when I'm hurt, when I'm in pain, when I'm upset, when I'm confused, where do I go? Am I going to grumble to other people, or is Jesus really the bread of life for me, that I know I will not get life anywhere else except there? And in two chapters before, there's a story where Jesus is with the disciples and he's warning them against the yeast of the Pharisees and they think he's hungry. And so he says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's a perfect description of what he was trying to say in John 6, that what feeds me, what fuels me is to do the will of God. Because God is life, and I know that I know that I know that that is the only place I'm going to find it. When we're looking for significance, and we're looking for meaning, and we're looking for comfort, and we're looking for hope, it's only Jesus. It is only Jesus. And even in that pain, that's why we continue to try to stay present, right? That's why I kept trying to stay present, because I knew, even though God is quiet right now, like, Dead quiet, that's a bad pun. That was bad. Even though God is very quiet right now, that he is the source of life. I can't get it anywhere else. And side note, I got married in that year. Marriage is amazing. Marriage is not going to figure that stuff out for you. I'm just saying. You won't find that in a spouse. You're not going to find the answer to your heart's cry because only Jesus, only Jesus is going to be the source of life for you. So I did have a moment of breakthrough from my space of, of quietness and confusion and hurt and pain. 
And it was last year, when a, another time of grieving, when a good friend of mine passed away. And, um, sorry. Another friend of mine came over to my house to pray for me. Because that's what you do, right? You continue to look to Jesus. And she prayed for me, and it was nice. <laughs> and then I started praying, because around Christians, you kind of feel like you should. That's a joke. That's a, that's a joke. <laughs> I started praying because of the Lord. And, um, and while I was praying, I had this picture in my mind of myself in a small, like, concrete room, and there was a door in the room, and I was sort of huddled in the room. And I could see that Jesus, because it was like a bird's eye view, was on the other side of the door. And I, it was very clear to me that Jesus was saying to me, you didn't realize it, but you put up these walls to protect yourself. But I, the protector, am outside of those walls. And any time you are ready, I'm here. Any time you're ready, you can open that door, and I will be there for you, and I will heal you. And this is what is amazing about God and how we know that God is real. Because anybody can describe that picture to you. But it was a miraculous moment for me. Because in an instant, I was changed. In an instant. It was breakthrough. All of a sudden, it was like I felt God's presence for the first time in my life. And I suddenly felt free of my grief and my hurt and my pain. And it's not because of a picture, it's because of God's presence and his goodness. And his goodness to me was that, that even though I still don't understand why things happened the way that they did, Jesus set me free from my hurt and my grief. And that is what is amazing about God. And that is what I've been praying this whole week God is going to do for everyone here tonight. That he wants to come and open that door and set you free from hurt and pain because that is what he does. And that is who he is. So can we all stand as we close? Thank you, Jesus. So I'm going to close by reading a scripture to us and inviting God to come and do what he does. And so if you are here and you're in the ministry team, the prophetic team, if you're a connect group leader, if you're a hub leader, please come to the front to be praying for people as they need prayer. That's your cue. You're welcome to come on down to the front. Great. And if you need prayer, then come and get prayer. This is the space where Jesus is going to show up and he is going to meet you. Amen. So let's read together. Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and minister to us tonight. We want to be vulnerable with you. We want to be real about our 
our hearts and where they're at and whether we need you, Lord God. And so we come to receive you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.